Thank you, brother. Praise the Lord. This auditorium is turning into a praiseatorium and a prayeratorium and an invalidatorium. Thank you for your prayers. My knee's doing much better, but the doctor said I probably should preach like this for another year just to be careful, so I don't want to push it. But anyway, we have a couple things I want you to join me in prayer for. First of all, um, we have a family right now, and they, I don't have, I didn't get a chance to find if they would give us permission, but their daughter is in very critical condition at Jefferson Hospital. So let's join together this morning as we pray. I believe Bob and Jeremy are down there right now, and some of the brothers and sisters from the church are praying for them. Secondly, we need to pray for our country. I don't know, everybody's talking about who you're going to vote for. Have you ever wondered who God's going to vote for? Because the Bible says that the Lord is the one who raises up and puts down people. You think he's made up his mind yet? But you know, there's a mystery to that, and that is this, that God uses prayer to accomplish his purpose. Please, do not stop praying. Three ways, hard, fast, and continuously as we get close to the election, God uses the prayers of his people in mysterious ways. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2, pray for your authorities. Two things. One, that the church might lead a peaceful life, meaning that our government will not oppose the Christian faith. So we need to pray that God will put in office. Someone said to me, you know, I would love to see... Um, both of the candidates, you know, wonder what it would be like to have them on a desert island together. And I thought to myself, and I actually said it, I think that would be good. And just leave them there. But that's not an option. <laughs> so in light of that, we need to pray. We need to pray that God, obviously we're like, well, none of them are the best. Pray and think which one will possibly have an effect on things like abortion and and Christianity. Pray, pray, and pray. God uses the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man accomplished much. Bible says righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a disgrace to any people. So pray for our country. Pray that God will be merciful. And then secondly, Paul says, pray that the church will lead a quiet life in godliness. Pray for Christianity in America, for a spiritual awakening among the churches and among believers and among our people. God is on the move and the Holy Spirit's at work. So let's pray for God to be merciful and gracious. And then third, let's pray for our children. 80% of people that become Christians, it's before they're 18. This is outstanding to see these, the children that are here. That's why we're building this building for the next generation, for our young people to see boys and girls coming to Christ and growing up and being followers of the Savior. And we're partnering together with families. We have over 200 children coming weekly. Keep praying. If we have to set up tents for the children that God will, will bless and, and use us as a church and as parents. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters, we join together in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for your grace and mercy and for the gospel. And we want to begin by by praying for this family whose daughter is in critical condition. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask together that you would perf perform a healing on her. Keep this daughter alive. Speak the word, O oh Lord Jesus. Keep her alive. I don't even know if she's a believer. If she's not, Lord, bring her to faith in Christ. 
regenerate her, Lord, cause her, even if she's unconscious, to, in her spirit, Lord, to remember the gospel and believe. And then, Father, pray that you'll comfort her parents and family and friends and be near to them, Lord. May the power of the Holy Spirit be in that room guiding the doctors. Thank you for all of our doctors that minister. But you're the great physician, Lord. Secondly, we pray for our country. Father, we thank you for this, this country that for over 200 years has, has had many Christian values and principles and is looked at by many other countries as a Christian nation. We know there's no such thing but we do believe there are many Christians in America. And we plead, like Abraham, that for the sake of those who are righteous, for those who have been regenerated, for the sake of the believers, that you would spare this country from your judgment, from your wrath. We pray for this upcoming election that you would put the, the best person in office to, to point us back to Christ. But we know that ultimately that's going to be the church it's not going to be pagans that point us to Christ. It's going to be the church. We pray for a sweeping revival. We pray that suddenly the fear of God will fall again on this land. That the conviction of sin and the power of the Holy Spirit will work through the churches. And that people will begin suddenly to start flocking to the churches. And that Christians would, would live and pray and worship and be filled with the Spirit. And that you would be merciful to us. And then we pray for our children Father, you know how much we love our kids and grandkids. You know how much we, we praise you for these gifts from God. But we also know that you love them more. We know the sober warnings that Jesus said to those who cause little ones to stumble. We know the delight that Jesus had when the little ones were praising him. So we pray that all of the children of this church will grow up to become believers. That you will give parents wisdom, patience, consistency and that partnering together with the church and our children's ministries that we will see a massive, massive work of God among our children. Thank you so much, Lord, for the privilege of working together. And Father, then finally we pray for your word as you speak to us through the gospel of John. May the spirit cause us to see Jesus and walk closely with him and grow in our faith and love and in our appreciation of your grace, in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. This morning, if you don't have a Bible, our ushers have plenty of extra. Please feel free to take one. <coughs> Last week, we were in John, chapter 4. We're going to finish this first section of John's Gospel, where Jesus is warmly received. By way of reminder, Jesus spoke of this living water that will well up and give everlasting life. And we noted that abundant life comes when we learn to find our satisfaction in Christ alone. We also learned that Jesus is seeking worshipers, those who worship God in the truth of the gospel and focus on Christ. And we're learning to worship by living living worship, sacrifices, obeying him and trusting him. And then we saw that part of the abundant life is joining with him in the work of winning souls. The harvest is plenteous, and we've been invited to enter into the labor that others have labored. This morning, we're going to pick up at verse 39, and we're going to talk about the word believe, because it's such an important word. And we're going to find that there are different types of believing. There is temporary believing. There is temporal believing. And then there's true believing. 
So let's begin in verse 39. It says, from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all things that I have done. So all these Samaritans came out. They met Jesus. They talked to him. And based on the testimony of this one little troubled past woman, they believed. Now, the word believe in the Gospel of John is used 96 times. So don't miss this. We need to make sure we understand that every time it's used, we need to carefully think about the meaning here. But I want to start by saying this. In English, the word believe is not what the word means in Greek. In English, the word believe is simply to intellectually assent to the truth of something. Do you believe in the tooth fairy? Do you believe in George Washington? Yeah, I believe. That is simply an intellectual assent. You are acknowledging something to be factual. If I asked you, does the devil believe in Jesus? Of course he does. In that level, James chapter 2 says, even the devil believes and he trembles. But the word believe in the New Testament means to trust and commit yourself to Christ. It's not just to go, yeah, I believe there was a guy named Jesus who died and rose again. It's to trust him and to commit yourself to him, be willing to follow him. It's to receive him in all that he is. Okay, so it's not just... Yeah, I know about a guy named Jesus. Hey, do you believe in Jesus? It's, have you made a trusting commitment to Christ where you are depending on his word and promises and you rely on him? So I think at this point, think about the power of your testimony. Some people will initially be drawn to Christ simply because of what they saw the Lord do for you. And so I would encourage you to not keep silent. If the Lord has touched you and changed your life, tell people. Jesus said, go home and tell them how the Lord had mercy on you. This woman brought about a revival in her entire city simply because she told, this is what Jesus did for me. You don't need to be a theologian. You don't need to quote a hundred verses. Tell people what Christ has done for you. But notice that their faith is very precarious. It's based on the experience of someone else. But verse 40 says, so when the Samaritans came to him, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. But look at verse 41. And many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this one is indeed the savior of the world. You see the transfer? We believe because of what you said, but now we believe, look up here, because of what he said. And this is true, lasting, biblical faith. You are embracing the promises of Jesus in the gospel. It fascinates me how many people's faith is, is tossed around like a flag in the wind. And when you ask them, why do you believe? How do you know you're going to heaven? Oh, I said a prayer. Or... Because um, Uncle Barry told me I'm saved. It's because Jesus made promises in the word of God and you embrace the gospel and you trust them and you commit yourself to Christ. 
And so I want you to, to, to ask yourself, do you just believe in Jesus up here in your head? Or do you believe Jesus in your heart with your will? Do you believe that his promises are true? That's what saving faith is. It's a decision. And, and, and it doesn't mean you have to have these experiences. I don't know. I didn't get a quiver in my liver. I don't know. I didn't shout hallelujah. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And so we see this, this strengthening of their faith, this depth of their faith that's now grounded in the word. And that's really important because Jesus spoke of temporary faith. He said, when the word of God is preached and people come and they hear the word, he said, some will receive it immediately with joy. They'll shout hallelujah and dance around a pew. They'll come walking forward. But Jesus said, when trouble comes, when persecution comes, they fall away. And he said, the reason is because they had no root in themselves. And so Christ is teaching us that our faith needs to be grounded on his promises and we need to embrace them. The Bible says in Romans 4 that Abraham did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in his faith. He gave glory to God, and he was fully persuaded that what God promised, he was able to perform. And so if you have not grounded your faith in the promises of the gospel, then get into this book and see the promises. Even as we talked about this this morning, Someone said, you know, I get it. I, I do believe this. And ask yourself, do you believe the promise of the gospel? But once you do that, you don't stop there. Some of you have passed from death to life. You have made that believing decision to trust Christ. But then our faith grows. Our faith is tested. Our faith deepens. And our faith becomes stronger and more fruitful and influential. So let's keep reading. After the two days, Jesus went forth into Galilee now, this time he's headed north. He was in Judea. Now he's going back up to Galilee. He's in Samaria. But, but John says, for Jesus testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. The reason that's a little weird is because normally that was used when Jesus was in Nazareth, right? But Jesus is headed back to his land, Galilee and Nazareth. But it says he went there because a prophet has no honor in his own country. Probably here John's thinking more about the national country, the Judea, the Jerusalem. Jesus is, is not received as the savior of the world. The Samaritans are saying it, but not the Jews. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves also went to the feast. But I want to suggest again here that this is that shallow, that, that sort of, who knows where it really lands faith, this, this initial curiosity. Christ had many people who followed him. Remember we saw at the end of chapter two, many believed in him, but he didn't believe in them because he knew that this was not yet true, genuine, saving faith. Even on Palm Sunday, woohoo, here comes Jesus, son of David, welcome, welcome. He knew four days later, they would be the same people who go, crucify him, crucify him. So, these Galileans are intrigued, they're interested, they're curious, but most of them are not yet convinced and committed believers. Verse 46, as he came therefore again to Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine and there was a certain royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. And we're going to learn that this kid was on, on death's doorstep. 
and nothing will set you into a spiritual panic than, than watching one of your kids or your grandkids and their, and their health is on the brink. That's why we pray for this dear family right now. Those of you who have been there, done that, you know just how, how fearful this is. And so this man, we don't know anything about him. Was he a devout Jew? Was he a Gentile? What did he know about Jesus? Well, he heard that this guy could do something about it and the doctors didn't seem to be able and so he went hunting for Jesus. Verse 47 says, when he heard that Jesus came into Galilee, he went and he was requesting him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. Now, if he just said he was requesting him to heal his son, we would have said, well, that's pretty, pretty, pretty remarkable faith. Remember the one guy that actually did this? He sent somebody and he said, could you ask Jesus to heal my son? And he said, Jesus, you don't even need to come. I'm not worthy. You don't need to show up. You just need to speak the word because I'm confident that your word is enough. And if you speak the word, he'll be made well. And Jesus said, I haven't seen faith like that in all Israel. But this man didn't have that faith yet. He said, Jesus, I need you to come down here. And so Jesus needs to work with him and upgrade him in his faith. And so grieve, Jesus said to him in verse 48, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. In other words, I don't need to come down. Will you trust my word alone? Unmoved, the royal official said to him, sir, Come down before my child dies. The Bible says, as a father has pity on his children, so the Lord has pity on those who, who reverence him. And so Jesus sees this dear, poor man in his, in his broken pity for his child. And Jesus says to him, go your way. Your son lives. Now, I, I thought to myself, what if that was me? I wonder if I would have said, Jesus, I'm not leaving your presence until you come down here and touch my boy. Jesus was asking this man to upgrade his faith. Will you take me at my word and do something about it? Will you trust me and follow me? And so the Bible says in verse 50, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he started off. Wow, that's, that's, that's an upgrade. Come down here. And Jesus goes, go home, I healed him. Now at this point, this says the man believed his word. And so, so, so we ask ourselves, is he saved? Is he born again here? Is, is, he, is he a Christ follower yet? Is this John 3, 16, whosoever believes in him? And I want to suggest that no, not even yet. Has he fully embraced what it means to believe in Christ as Lord and Savior? But he's in that direction. He's moving in that way. And so in verse 51 says, as he was going down, his slaves met him saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. 
Now look at verse 53. And he himself believed. And he goes, John, I thought you already said that. You see? Well, what did he believe? Well, he believed that Jesus healed his kid. But now, he himself believed. He, he, he was there now. You, you with me? Now, are you there yet? You're like, yeah, I believe Jesus is a good guy. I, be, I believe he died on the cross. Yeah, I believe he rose from the dead. So does the devil. But when you die and you stand before God at judgment day, do you believe that your soul is well because Christ is your Savior? Do you believe the gospel promises that whosoever believes in him will not perish? May God awaken within you saving faith. You say, well, I think I do, Tom, but I don't feel it. You don't need to feel it. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to think about how we as Christians, after we believe, are constantly in the process of, of needing to deepen our roots. I've believed now since 1979. That's a long time. It's like 37 years. But yet, sometimes... News reaches my ears, a thought comes through my head, a problem comes into my life, and I begin to fear, and I go into an inward panic and a turmoil. And I'm frequently reminded of the Lord Jesus. He loved to teach faith on boat rides. Remember the the story in the Gospel of Mark when, when he's asleep in the boat and the storm is... Is, is about to sink the boat and, and they're grabbing Jesus and going, Jesus, get up, man, we're going to die. And he speaks to the storm and he comes and, and then he looks at them and he goes, how is it that you have no faith? And I'm thinking, that sounds like me. And then later in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus takes them in the boat And they go, we forgot the bread. We're going to starve. And Jesus says, don't you remember how I fed 5,000? And he says this, why do you have such little faith? And so this morning, as the storms may be tossing across your spirit, are you flipping out inwardly? Are you losing it? Because I'm right there with you. I get it. And yet Christ is, is saying, do you, do you, go your way. Trust, do, do you not? Didn't, didn't, we, didn't I promise you? You know, I read something that I thought was pretty cool. Remember the old pirate ships and, and the old scooters and the ships that had that tall wooden mass with the crow's nest at the top? I read that the selection for those wooden masts, they don't just pick any tall, thin tree. They pick tall, thin trees on mountaintops. And you go, well, why? I'm not a, ar- is it arbologist? I love to sound good, but I'm stupid. I don't know, arbologist? I'm a- See, you don't know either. Somebody said an armorist. I know it's not an armorist. All right, anyway, it doesn't matter. But these tall trees, right? 
because they've withered many storms and been tossed to and fro and have deep roots on the mountain and have been through storms and proven themselves that they're not going to easily snap. And I had a thought. I love to be on the mountaintop with Jesus, don't you? I want to see him move in my life. I want to experience Christ's power. And he's like, well, will you, will you, will you stand the storms? Because it's windy up there. He said, no, I'll just stay down here in the, in the valleys of mediocrity. And then it says, he himself believed in his whole household. Isn't that what every person wants? If you believe the gospel and you know that you're saved now and you know you're forgiven, so the number one thing you want is I want to take my people with me. I want my spouse. I want my children. I want my grandkids. I want others to come to Christ. And I want to encourage you, don't give up just because everyone's teasing you or, or thinks you're a nut or your kids are like, oh boy, here goes mom again or here goes dad with all, he's over the top. Don't give up praying and living because anybody who believes knows there's nothing more important to your soul than that your kids are with you in heaven, amen? And we'll stay on our knees until we, until we go to be with Christ towards that end. Well, Jesus has experienced warm reception, but now we're going to experience his first opposition, at least what John records for us. So this is the first time Jesus is now working with a man who I'm going to suggest doesn't have faith, doesn't believe, and actually walks away worse than, than perhaps had he not had this revelation, in a more dangerous position, because it's dangerous to be around the Bible and disbelieve it. Judgment is greater for those who have experienced God's revelation. Jesus said it will be more tolerable for Solomon and Gomorrah than those who have experienced my miracles. And so let's look in chapter 5. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda. And you're like, isn't there a hospital in Maryland? Isn't... Yeah, that, that's, that's this Hebrew word. It means house of mercy. And so th- there's this place in, in, in Jerusalem in Jesus' day, the house of mercy, having five porticos, these, these kind of, kind of like you see at Tyler Park, these overhangs. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. Now you'll notice in verse 4 that there's a little bracket there. Where it says, waiting for the moving of the waters. And some of you in your Bible don't even have this verse. Real quick, I just want you to note something. That the New Testament was written in Greek. And nobody has the original copies. So no one has the first one that John wrote. All that exists are copies of John's original. And we all know that when people copy things, they forget things. They leave things out. They spell things wrong. They make mistakes. Sometimes, unintentionally, sometimes intentionally. I don't like that verse. I don't like this thought. Or let me just add something to clarify it. God didn't promise to inspire copies. And so of the copies of the Gospel of John that have been discovered, some of them do not have this part in brackets. But I, I certainly think, even if that's not original, which I think it probably was, the, the, the inference is still there that 
These people were at that pool because God moved the water once in a while. And if you got there first, you got healed. And I, I can't help but wonder, why was God doing that? Well, well, he wanted to keep their hope alive. Remember, the, the promise of the Messiah in the Old Testament was a Messiah who would come and heal not only souls but bodies. Isaiah 35, 6. The Messiah was promised that he would come and make the lame to walk again. He would cause the blind to see. One of the last promises of the Old Testament book of Malachi says, the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. And so why wouldn't God in his mercy provide periodic droplets of the coming Messiah and, 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 and healing would be, would be granted to people And so in verse 5, it says, There was a certain man there who had been sick for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? Now, imagine a whole crowd of people, all of them sick, crippled, laying around, hoping to be healed. Think of all the friends and family that passed to and fro to help them, to roll them over to help them with the basics of life, like going to the bathroom and feeding them and, and moving them and making sure they're safe and, and hoping that if the water's stirring, somebody would get them down there and Jesus just marches right in and singles this man out in his sovereign purposes. And, and he asked him a question, which I'm going, what? Do you wish to get well? What is Jesus, Sick? How twisted and cruel. Do you wish to get well? But I want to suggest that what Jesus is doing here is that he's helping this man to understand that I want to do something great for you. And I want you to become a follower of mine. But you can no longer rely on your treasured disabilities. Why wouldn't he want to get well? I don't know. For one thing, you'd have to get up every morning and go to work. Nobody's going to wait on him hand and foot anymore. Things are going to change. He's going to have to be responsible. And I wonder if Jesus didn't put this there for us to think about. Because have you ever noticed how quickly we can go to our treasured disabilities when God asks us to trust and obey him? We're like, well, yeah, but you've got to understand. You, you don't know about my past. See, I, see if, you, if, if you came out of my background, you'd realize that, you know, you can't expect me to get over this anger. I mean, my therapist tells me I'm a rageaholic, and so it's really not my fault, right? Or, you know, uh, I'm not a fornicator. I, I just have a sex addiction. Yeah, there's a big difference here, you know? And so I think we all sometimes sort of just go to our default and go, well, you know, I mean, come on, what do you expect? You know, God, God, God can't expect me to trust and obey him like others because, you know, my baggage. People will often ask me, what's the best rehab, Pastor Tom? And if you're not praying for addicts in our church, stop it and start praying because opiate addiction is killing our country It's killing people in our church. It's killing people in Bucks County, and we need to pray hard. But when people ask me, what's the best rehab? 
My answer is all of them and none of them. Do they wish to get well? Because if they're not ready to change and they're not willing to surrender to Christ, then you can spend all the money you want. Send them to the Karen Foundation. Spend 30 grand a month. But if they wish to get well, you can send them to a hut in Haiti with a godly pastor. And the Lord can transform them. But if you're dealing with a sin issue in your life that you have not been able to abandon, is it really that you have not been able or you have not been willing? When Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He doesn't want us to cut off our hands. He wants us to throw ourselves in surrender at his feet. I talked to a a dear man last night who's going into a, a rehab. This man said to me, he's older than me. He said, I don't care. I'll submit to a 17-year-old. I just want to get well and figure out how to follow Christ. Amen? So, wow. Yeah, Lord, I, I want to get well. Okay, trust me. So, Jesus has his first test for him. He says, sir, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool when the water stirred up. When I'm coming down, another steps before me. And Jesus says, arise. Take up your pallet and walk. Now, it would have been very easy for Jesus said, just get up and walk. That's what he normally did. But what's with the pallet here? Well, your pallet was, some of you are going, gee, did they have pallets back then? <laughs> Not those wooden pallets. This was your bed, Right? So take up your bed and walk. Now, here's the, here's the striking thing. Everybody knew back then you don't carry your bed on Saturday. We, we just go, that's stupid, right? I'd be like, be like, don't anyone carry your sleeping bag around. Don't let me see you with a blanket on your arm on Saturday. It's insane. But that's how the Pharisees worked. God said, don't work on Saturday. Don't work on the Sabbath. But they wanted to protect God, so they drew lots of extra lines. So don't drag your chair across the dirt because you're digging a ditch. They had false teeth back then. Don't wear your false teeth on the Sabbath because you're, you're bearing a burden. And by all means, don't carry your bed on Saturday. So you see what Jesus was doing here. He says, I want you to pick up your bed and walk out of here in front of everybody. And I, I would imagine that at some point that crossed this guy's mind. If I walk around with my bed... Somebody might, might, might get on my case. And sure enough, it's exactly what happened. John says, it was a Sabbath day, and therefore the Jews were saying to him who was cured, guy probably didn't even get out of the portico yet. And he said, what are you doing with your bed? It's not permissive for you to carry your pallet. Now, I wonder what kind of faith this guy had. So he goes, hey, 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 hang on here. He who made me well, it's not me. It's the one who told me. I'm just doing what I was told. Right? Very different from the blind man in chapter 9 when Jesus heals him. He's like, I'm with Jesus. Throw me out, but I'm sticking with Jesus. This guy, he's not ready to. And then they said, well, who told you to take up your pallet? Now, I find this striking. He says, I don't know. He who healed me. Now, it says he didn't know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Now, 
I got to stop and think to myself, did Jesus go like this? Hey, take up your bed. And when the guy got up, Jesus said, hey, look over there. And he ran away. I sort of get the, the impression here that this guy wasn't like really eager to go, hey, man, thank you. Who are you? What's your name, Mac? Thanks a lot. I think there's a sense in which maybe we're to, to, to sense that this guy wasn't really all that concerned about who healed him. But Jesus was concerned about him, and so we're going to stop at verse 14. But I want you to look at this. Or 15. Jesus later found him in the temple. Now, imagine him in the temple. He's getting his praise on now. He's he's in church now. He's praised. Well, is he? So Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Don't sin anymore so that nothing worse may befall you. For some of you, you're like, I knew it. This is how life works. Whenever something bad happens, it's because God's mad at me and he's getting me. So that's why I have a flat tire. That's why I have a runny nose. And if I don't stop being bad, it's only going to get worse. And then for some of you, you can't even keep that theology to yourself. You make Job's comforters look compassionate. You're going, I know why Pastor Tom has a bad knee. That's what I thought. Every time you see something bad happen to somebody else, you're like, now they're getting it. I wonder what they did. That's a bad theology. If you believe that every time something bad happens to you, it's because God's punishing you, stop it. Don't do that. That's not what the Bible teaches Many times bad things happen to us because God is testing you. He loves you. He delights in you. He's thrilled with you and pleased with your faith. He's just taking you deeper. Job was the most righteous man on earth, but God let bad things happen to him. And so if you're going through troubled times this morning, don't assume that God's mad at you and that he's just looking for a reason to make his day. However, don't go to the other extreme and go, God would never let something bad happen to me on account of my sin. You're like, well, how will I know? Well, I want to suggest that when bad things happen to us on account of our sin, normally... The Bible calls this God's discipline. Hebrews 12 says the Lord disciplines us to share in his holiness. So normally the Lord speaks long before he spanks. Meaning if something bad happens to you, if, if you're wondering if it's because of your sin, you probably have already been thinking about some sin that you've been doing that you don't want to stop. Right? God doesn't play Marco Polo. Solo Marco Polo, solo Marco Polo. He's not trying to delude us and and confuse us. So the Holy Spirit deals with us compassionately. So when we're disobedient, the Lord usually speaks to us through his word and, and 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 he tenderly invites us to repent. He tenderly wants us to confess and to surrender. It's when we stubbornly persist in our sin and we refuse to to allow Christ 
to have his way with us. That's when he disciplines us. And that doesn't mean you're not saved. That doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean he's mad at you. But sometimes bad things happen to us because we refuse to discipline ourselves and listen to him. God's not looking for perfection. The Bible says broken and contrite hearts. God doesn't despise. He's looking for surrender and honesty and confession and this ongoing process where he tenderly is taking us deeper with him and growing our faith. But look how this guy responds. So the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Now, now what did he have to gain for that? I don't sense there that he went there to glorify Christ and to say, I'm a Christ follower. I think he just went there to tattle on Jesus. And the next verse says, and they were mad at him and, and persecuting him. So as we close today, I think we can all just stop and say, do I believe in Christ with faith? I trust him as my Savior. Benjamin's coming this morning. And I hope that most of you here, many of you here, a lot of you here have said, yes, I do believe in Christ as my, my personal Savior. But if you've done that, how, how is your faith now? What's going on in your life? Is the Lord taking you deeper? Is he trying you? Is he testing you? Are you trusting him? Let's pray for one another that our faith will, will make progress, that we will, that we will believe his words without any evidence, that we will find comfort in the promises of Jesus. But I want to do something that I did in the first service, and I'm only going to do it briefly. When Jesus told that man to get up and walk, the Bible says that when we believe in Christ, we should confess that with our mouth. And so from time to time, I do this not very often, and I don't want it to be melodramatic or emotional. But the Bible says that when you believe on Christ, you should confess that with your mouth. It's not something that's to be a secret. It's something where you publicly identify with Christ. Where, where you say, I have decided to receive Christ. And I believe that he's my savior. And then you, 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 you let people know that. And so... One way that we do that is through baptism. And, and if you haven't been baptized yet, we invite you to do, to, to do that, to sign up and go through our class. But I also, from time to time, just ask a person to come and stand with me. Now, let me be very clear. If you've already done this, you don't need to do it again. What I'm, what I'm doing here is simply saying, if sometime today or sometime in your past, you have trusted Jesus Christ and you believe and you know you're saved you know you're going to heaven but you've never really publicly said that you've never really said I, I'm a follower yes then I'm going to invite you to come and stand with me you're not going to go to heaven because you stand with me you're not going to go to hell because you don't but it's a wonderful opportunity for you to take up your soul and to say yes I am a believer would you pray for me and so if God's speaking to your heart, we had someone in the first service. She literally said, you know, I realized as you were preaching, I do believe. And she came and stood. And so don't worry about what others say. If you say, Lord, I believe, and you want to come and stand with me, we'll rejoice with you. Benjamin, lead us in just one line. So don't wait. If God's speaking to your heart, come young or old, if you want to just say, I do believe, and I want people to know that and pray for me.